Here on episode number seven is another living legend of the martial arts world. Grandmaster Douglas Wong joins us today, and we have a great conversation about his career beginnings and his specialty in the healing arts he's focused on today. Hear about his roles as an actor as well as a trainer in Hollywood TV and movies. He's here with us today, so let's get to the interview. Alrighty, everybody, welcome to the Artist of Motion podcast. Today it is my honor to feature a living legend of the martial arts. He's trained several actors for film and television, including Jason Scott Lee, Kevin Sorbo, Lucy Lawless, Gina Torres, and Ryan Gosling. He's published several books and videos on Chinese martial arts. We'll cover that later on today. He studied under several incredible teachers, notably Grandmaster Ark Wong, Grandmaster Sher Kei Lu, Grandmaster Du Wai, Master Su Hong Chi, Sifu Walter Wong, Sifu Taino Lifidis, Sifu Richard Wan, and Dr. Andrew Ming. He's traveled the world sharing his art, and he is the founder of the White Lotus Kung Fu System. Welcome to our show, Master Douglas Wong. How are you today, sir? Fine. How are you doing, Steve? I am doing excellent, sir. I've been waiting for this interview for quite some time. So I, if I remember correctly, you just celebrated a birthday here too, right? Yeah, a couple of days ago. I uh, just turned 69 now. Man, we're yeah. rocking and rolling. <laughs> yeah, it was something else. I got over a thousand happy birthday wishes from around the world, uh, from everywhere, from uh, New Zealand, South America, Canada, Europe, all over the place. So it was great to hear from everybody. Right on. So I took the time to listen to a couple of the uh, uh, the other podcasts that you've been a part of in the past, and some of them have covered some of the film and television parts before. So before I get into that, um, I gave kind of the short version of your biography slash curriculum vitae, whichever you want to call it. Um, what would you like to share about your background that I haven't touched on yet, or what would you like to elaborate on? Well, uh, yeah, my background is... Uh, involved a lot with the entertainment business, but also into the healing arts. Uh, the last six years now, I've been traveling uh, all over doing my seminars, and I've been doing healing seminars. But there's a lot of stuff that people don't understand about the healing art. It's part of the martial arts. As our teacher taught us before, the person that you hurt, you must be able to heal. So, But there's a lot of arts that do not teach that aspect of it. They teach how to break, how to hurt, but not to put them back together again. So that's what I've been doing the last seven years now. It's just good for the place for that. I've noticed that has been really, you know, in the last, you said five years, six years, in the last decade or so, there's been a really big push to what I, it, literally, you have to call it bringing it back. Because you're, you're absolutely right. For a while there, that wasn't an element that anybody was talking about. Yep, that's for sure. You know, so now a lot of people are getting more into the healing after, especially as they're getting older themselves. You know, a lot of them are feeling the aches and pains that we suffer when we're younger, you know. And when we're young and foolish, as they say, <laughs> we, we don't worry about those things. We just keep going, you know. But as we get older, past 50, then all that pain and ache start hurting you and start putting limitations on the body. And so a lot of people are trying to figure out what can we do to do, you know, to prepare for this or how can we realign our body to make it like we were when we're younger. So right now what I'm trying to teach people is how to start teaching their students from the beginning where the healing aspect should come in. It's not something that should be taught later as you get older. It should be taught right when you start. I love it. Let's elaborate on that. That's a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So what do you suggest people do differently in their training versus how they're you know, training in previous years? Well, a lot, a lot of people, you know, when they get into the art, the, the whole concept is more like self-defense or fighting. 
or what they see in the, uh, the Taekwondo in the Olympics. You know, I want to get me something here. I'm going to get a, a title. I want to make money as I get older or whatever they want to do. I want to get fame and fortune. But, you know, all that is good to a certain point, but how many are going to be in that group? That's what people don't understand. General, maybe the top 4 or 5% will make it to the very top for, you know, the big publicity and everything else like this or getting into entertainment business or whatever it may be. But it's the other part that you have to see because a lot of students, when they start out, they come into your studio. You may only have them for three to five years at the most. Most of them, you know, they take it for six months, they're gone. You know, the, their, their interest is just stopped. They want to go do other things that might be more exciting. They don't want to do the discipline. They don't want to do the exercise. There, there's so many different, uh, you know, other interests that, that takes over. So that's what you have to look at. How can we retain that? How can we get the student interest in learning what they're supposed to learn besides just the basic self-defense and the form so forth? You have to learn about the proper breathing, about the meditation, about how to do the different type of stretching or to realign different areas of the body. It was like what I was doing with my sons, you know, my, my kids, in fact. I started them way before they could even walk. I started my son at six months old, my oldest daughter at three months old, and my youngest daughter at two months old. That's before they could walk, talk, or anything else like this, and before they could say the magic word, no. But that's where people have a lot of problems. They can't teach the kids because they get to four or five years old or older, and they start, no, I don't want to do this. No, I can't do that. No, I want to do something else. No. So before my kids started even knowing the word no, they were involved into the martial arts, and it was part of their training. They grew up with it. It was part of their tradition that they learned, but it was also like part of eating, walking, and breathing. So all this was ingrained into their body before they even knew the word no. So that's why they are so well ahead of people in school, straight A's. They, you know, they, they, they do so many different things, but the focus is there with the martial arts, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. As they get older, a lot of people just tend to spread their mind over many, many different subjects. But if you get in the martial arts as part of the beginning, this will help everything out there. It doesn't matter what art you take or what sports you take, the martial art will help you accelerate in all these. So teaching them the beginning, that's why a lot of when we when we teach our kids class, we don't teach any fighting at all. I see a lot of guys go in there, they take the, the Taekwondo or in the Korean arts. First thing you know, they're sparring, they're fighting against each other. They are, kids already have the aggression in them. You're trying to calm that down. You're trying to focus them. You're trying to self-center them so they don't do this, you know, jump off the, uh, with the hot temper, fighting, hitting, beating, breaking, doing something. That's why a lot of them, I, I don't like them taking a mixed martial arts, especially young kids. You know, when you, you get older, you might be able to do that. But young, all they want to do is crank somebody's neck, snap somebody's back, you know, this kind of stuff. You don't need to teach them aggressiveness. You got to teach them calmness and self-awareness. So that's what we try to teach our kids in the class. So a lot of them say, when we start sparring, we don't. I let my wife handle all that now, but I'm too mean in the kids' class. <laughs> she has more patience. But that's what we teach them, and they start learning about this, you know, and, and then once they get self-centered and, and understand what it's all about, then they can start learning the true art. So this is what we try to teach them that. So, yeah, in the beginning, uh, I, I now handle, you know, just more of the teenage up to adult classes. My wife handles everything from 
12 and under. <laughs> I can't handle that, those classes anymore. Well, fair enough. So, you know, in the old days, yeah. it was you, you'd start the class, you you med- do your meditation, bow in, open, you finish your opening procedure, you do a bunch of basics, and then you get into whatever else material you want to teach after that. So how do you do things differently now where you add in that healing education piece? Well, in the beginning, we didn't do all that part. It's just later after I start doing uh, different things. So, so yeah, it's more into it now that we teach the, the philosophy of mind, body, and spirit to unite all three together. So this is uh, more of a disciplined understanding. But when we do the breathing exercise and so, so forth, uh, we move what's called the energy, the chi, inside the body. We also use this energy, the, the chi, to do the healing. So where a lot of people know about the acupuncture, using the needles and so forth, but prior to that, the way they did the healings was with the hand. As they stayed in the Bible, God's healed with the hand. So this is all part of the Chinese healing art. We heal with the hand. We move the chi. We use the 12 meridian points on the body, and we can use different points of it to control and to manipulate the energy to either, if it's overabundance or underabundance of energy, we try to equalize it to make it balanced. And this is where the body gets back to where it's focused at point zero, where there's no pains, no aches. Because a lot of time when you have pain, it's either overabundance of energy or underabundance of energy. And it depends on what part of the body it is. You have to work the different points to equalize it. So this is all part of it. So you have to use either the chi, the herbal medicine, the acupressure massaging, or the acupuncture. So all this is part of it. So, again, the more higher healing, of course, that's, you have to get – you might have to be older to understand what it is. So the kids, we teach just some minor things, but the adults, as they get older, then we want to teach more about the healing aspect. But a lot of times, like when I, uh, my kids were going to high school, they play sports and everything else. So uh, my girls were, you know, captain of their basketball team. So every time one of the girls hurt their knees, dislocated a shoulder, uh, twist an ankle, whatever, me and my wife was there. We were team doctor. We popped things back in place right there. As long as you learn how to adjust and realign a joint within the first five minutes of any type of injury, there's no swelling. Everything can be put back in place, and they're ready to go ten minutes after. So that's what we used to do. Pop them, fix them, straighten them out, and then put them back on the floor. They're ready to go again. There's no problems, nothing at all. Doctors take x-rays and everything afterwards, and you look at it, they're fine. There's nothing wrong. Of course they're not. As long as you know how to adjust everything, realign it within the first five minutes, there's no problem. But I have a lot of people, when I go to do my seminar, these guys are coming with injuries from 20, 30 years ago. Man, it takes a long time to readjust that or refix it, or I have to re-break it or realign it again. So those are the harder ones. But the young ones, as long as they're young, they heal much faster. So the Chinese way of looking at it is, is one day for every year you are. So if you're five years old, it's five days of natural healing that you, that you need. And so if you're 35 years old, you're going to need 35 days of healing before you can uh, uh, go back to normal. But that healing sometimes is not just done natural healing, you may have to put the herbal medicine on there and so forth to help speed the healing. So the medicine, what we call the jiao or the herbal medicine, will help speed the healing twice as fast or three times as fast, depending on what type we use. Either it's a liquid form, powder form, or, or, or a mixture of the two. And we also put what's called the healing energy in there also so it helps heal it. So 
this is harder for people to learn to understand. So I work a lot with different um, sports people also, you know, a football player, basketball player, so forth, professional and semi-pro and amateurs. And, and we fix them up pretty quick. So, but you have to have this knowledge. Again, so, so why do we have all this healing part? Because it's easy to, to damage somebody or hurt somebody. I can dislocate your leg or your arm. So everything <laughs> we can do self-defense-wise, a lot of people don't know how to put it back together again. So that's what our teacher made us do. We had to learn both ways. Now, which teacher was so impactful for you that really drilled that home? Uh, there was three of them. Uh, mainly um, uh, was Shir Lu. He taught the, what's called Taoan Pai system, because he learned from the temple in China. Um, other teacher was Do Wei. His is called White Tiger System, or, or he also learned uh, Mi Pai, or the White Eyebrow System, and he has a lot of healing in there, so he taught me that. And the other one was Shi Hong Shi, and he was from Taiwan, and, uh, and his was Shingi Pakwasa, but he taught a lot about the healing. So his was a lot of with the herbs and so forth. And Dr. Andrew Ming was my acupuncture doctor. I learned a lot from him. Now, through Chinese history, uh, acupuncture was founded by his family. So his, when I was studying with him, it went 99 generation in his family. Wow. You get all these new, yeah, 99. You know, you get all these new people, one or two generations, but nothing. Because what happens, like even at acupuncture college now, there's only 365 points that they teach to the general public. That's all. In Dr. Ming's system, when we were learning, was 1,000 points. That's how far advanced he was compared to everybody else. So, I mean, uh, uh, he passed away, but he got uh, broadsided by some young kid driving his dad's Cadillac. So oh. it was crazy. You know, yeah, he, he survived for a couple months, and we were just getting to open up the clinic. And uh, we were starting to do all the clinical work with him, and then he passed away. And I, w- I would have got my license because he, uh, the California Acupuncture Board, he started it, so he was the head of it. But he passed away before I got my license. So after that, I could not study with anybody else because nobody had the same knowledge or the same efforts that, that you know, I, I wanted. So I just dropped out of it so I don't even mess with the acupuncture anymore. I'll do acupressure or, or do the chi, uh, the healing hand, stuff like that. But uh, Dr. Ming was amazing with the acupuncture. And he had uh, USC bought him over from Taiwan to the USC medical clinic area for uh, research. And they bought him in. And so they had a different clinic, one for acupuncture, one for uh, the chiropractor, one for physical medicine. One for, they had all these different ones. And so they were doing all this study, five-year study. And then on his line, each one, especially for him, he had all those other doctors waiting in line to get healing from him. It was not the other way around. That's so awesome. A lot of them, yeah, it was fantastic because he had his own clinic also, so uh, we got to help him there. So we had all these doctors come in through the back door, and they, they didn't want anybody to see him. So <laughs> it, it was crazy. <laughs> but they were coming in there, you know, and and, uh, and uh, when, he had, when he passed away, they had the funeral, man, all these Big shot doctors came to the funeral and they spoke up there on what he did for him and all this kind of stuff. So they, they really acknowledged him a lot. So and it was something else. But he was tremendous in his acupuncture healing, but also in Tai Chi. He was one of the top Tai Chi guys. I mean, his 
energy and his power or something else. But he said, yeah, you have to do the both. You know, you got to physically be strong, but you also have to have the medical background behind it all to understand all the movement of why the chi move, why the energy move. What if you move your knees this way, you point your toes this way, your shoulder goes a certain way. Uh, how much pressure can you put by increasing by bending a certain way? So there's this principle of physiology that you have to learn about all of this, but then you have to learn where are the energy flows going. If it's going reversal or downwards, you know, there's so many different things you have to learn about the law of physics. So, um, you know, I learned a lot from those four teachers, but they, they were my main healers. I'm still blown away by that 99th generation. That's, that is crazy. Right. Yep, that is. You know, that's that's a long time. <laughs> so they they said in Chinese history that's where his family were the first to learn it. And um yeah, so like I said, I could not learn from anyone else after that. So there's no other there's no hundredth generation. He was the last of the line? Him and his brother passed away, so uh he was teaching at the University of Beijing. So that's I mean that's quite a few years ago. We're probably talking about twenty something years now that they passed away. So um, then his daughter took over for a while. I would send all my students over there to learn from them. Uh, but he had four daughters, and, and he didn't have any sons. So all four daughters were taught the acupuncture, and his grandson, grandkids also learned. But uh, after that, no. And she sort of retired, so I have no one I, I go to now. You know, everyone else is like one or two generations. I just, I, I just don't trust them. <laughs> I just don't you know, yeah, I can't do it anymore after that. So uh, I just don't go to any acupuncturist people now. Okay, so that's uh, we mentioned four of those names, but some of those names also were not just on the healing side, but they were also people that mentored you and taught you for other stuff too, right? Yes, they were all. Was all of it, like I said, you have to have the martial arts and the healing together. So, uh, like I said, the first one was Sher K. Lu. He was from the. He learned his system in the, in the uh, uh, temple in China. So it was called a Tao on Tao on Pai, and so his is uh, more uh, uh, really old style of, of kung fu. And, you know, like for us, he, you know, when we learned from him, it was like one form per year. So I mean, it took forever. <laughs> and you know, some people, you know, you can learn a form in one month and you're ready to, you know, uh, go on to the next thing. But uh, he, he like maybe taught us one or two moves uh, every week, and that was about it. And you had to have it down specifically strong and everything. But when he was taught, teaching us this with the form, but it was also the breathing that went behind it and all the various angles and why you did it a certain way. And, and so that's what he taught. But he he, he was more with uh, what's called uh, the herbal medicine, uh, using the herbal powder and herbal liquid. Now, his grandfather, uh, not his grandfather, uh, his uncle, is a very famous uh, kung fu man uh, known as Lao Ban. Lao Buns taught what was called the Chuanlei foot system uh, of China. And uh, through a lot of uh, different Chinese movies and so forth, they always talk about that system, the Chuanlei foot system. But his uncle was very good with the healing. Now, his thing was different. He could take a plain glass of water, write Chinese character across the glass of water, and turn that into medicine. You see that sucker bubble up, have the person drink it, and heal them just right then and there. So not too many people know that system at all. I mean, maybe two or three in the whole wide world now. But, you know, I wish I could have learned that. But uh, that was one that we did not learn. Uh, he said his uncle was the best at it. He, he couldn't even learn that. He said that was uh, really uh, amazing type of healing. 
So that, that was one of them. That was, that was Sher Lu. Then my other one's uh, Do Wei. Now, he was good with his medicine. He used the herbal medicine. He did what's called a white tiger system. That was his family system. But he also learned what was called a white eyebrow system, Bak Mi Pai. And he was very good with the herbal medicine. He's still alive. In fact, he's the only one in my four teachers, the healing teachers that's still alive. And um, he did all kinds of different healing. I mean, he used to bring these... He said, let me show you what the cheese is about. He had these dead flies. He'd bring them back to life right then and there. You take a fly and put a couple of pin in kill them right then and there. He'd bring them right back to life, man. That's, that's how much power he had doing that kind of stuff. And his martial art thing, you put a coconut between two pillows, slap the top of the pillow, and the coconut just smash and crack all over and explode. So that's how, how strong his chi was uh, uh, to demonstrate, you know. But then again, that, that was the... the martial art aspect, but also the healing aspect. And then my other teacher, uh, who, who would I leave? Chi Hong Shi uh, from Taiwan. Now, he was a good one. Because uh, I, I, I was working overnight, and I dislocated my shoulder and my hip. And um, and I couldn't move, so I called him. He happened to be here visiting for Taiwan at the time. So, well, you could drive down here, and, and I'll fix you up, man. It took me half hour to go, like 15 feet. I, couldn't, I can't move. I can't do it. So he came to the house, put me against the couch, uh, put my feet together, and then he smacked down right on it, readjusting the hip and everything, and readjusting my elbows and everything else. If I would have been in an American hospital, it would have taken two, three months just to do the healing, realign it, to put in traction and the whole bit. And he said, he said it would take too long. So he did it in about 10 minutes, you know, put everything back in there. And it was crazy. His type of healing was so quick. And uh, the way he did it, you know, uh, he used different ways. Like one of my other friends, Albert Leong, he's uh, the guy we see in the movies, uh, long hair, long Fu Manchu, to play the bad guy all the time. He had a bad back. So he happened to be coming to my school another year, and he laid Albert down, put a big two-by-four in the bottom, foot to sledgehammer at the bottom, man, and you see Albert just sliding across the floor about 10 or 12 feet. And, I mean, that was a big shock. We we didn't know what the hell happened. I shot out like a cannon. He got up, man. He had to have back trouble, and that was over 40-something years ago, he said, but he straightened out his back. And, you know, so so he had different type of healing. He had an herbal medicine that could do the healing of uh, compound fractures like bones. They could be shattered all over, not in a line or anything like this, and he had the herbal medicine put back on there. Within a couple of days, all the bones would realign again. So that was one the strongest herb that he had, my my my, my teacher she um, he didn't have it. His uncle had it. He tried to learn that, but he but he could never understand it. So he never got the formula for that. But that's part of the old healing process from over hundreds of years ago. And he said that's how strong the herbal medicine was. So he he never learned that, but he he had it done to himself, and he seen other people where his uncle worked on it. And and so you, so much of those old secrets are are lost because didn't learn it, or people didn't want to learn the healing aspect. They just want to learn the fighting. Because, you know, his fighting was, again, was, you know, all part of the martial arts. It was great doing different things. And then my, uh, let's see, we talked to Andrew Ming. We talked about the healing with people. So those are the four main ones that, that, that I learned from. And, uh, you know, I, I learned as much as I could, you know. There's some just about what happened to Shi Hong Shi. He died of liver cancer. So he was only like 50-something years old when he passed away. So there was a lot that I couldn't get from him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, all that art is lost. You know, he had a lot of students in Taiwan. But, again, 
Everybody thought he was going to be around forever and, and you know, didn't really push that much into the study. Said they learned on him so much. And, and so that was gone. And Dr. Ming, he was like 80-something when he passed away. I tried to learn as much as I could from him, you know, but that was something else. And she and uh, Cher Lu, he passed away at 93, just about three, four years ago. So, But he taught a lot about the, the meditation, the internal breathing, how to use it to, for self-healing and how to heal other people. So that, that I still study a lot of that or practice a lot of that and, and uh, see for a doorway still around, you know, so I, I stay in communication with him, but he had a major stroke about seven years ago, so he lost part of his uh, speech pattern. He couldn't speak any. But, uh, you know, he's he's getting a lot better now. But, uh, yeah, he's he's up there in the 80s, so. But uh, he's only one of my other teachers that's still around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, healing, I'm always interested in it. I, I try to study as much as I can. It doesn't have to be Chinese. It could be Japanese, not Indonesian, Latin. I don't care, you know. All I want to do is learn about healing. So that's my quest now. So all of that, what, everything you've learned from those, basically you've synthesized into your white lotus system, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's why I developed my white lotus system, because I was under all these different teachers. I couldn't call it mainly one style. It was not the five animal system as I studied with Art Wong or, or, or Richard Wong when I was doing what's called a soft fan style or so forth, because they all taught a certain aspect of the art, but no one that I, uh, that I studied from taught all the arts. I'm talking about lion dancing. We're talking about weaponry. We're talking about the, the, the fighting and so forth, everything else. You know, They all taught certain aspects. So that's why when I developed my white lotus, I encompassed everything, so we had all of it. So as soon as came into my system, they didn't have to go searching anywhere else. So that's the reason I, I just gave an overall different name, because I couldn't just say it was before just the one teacher. One of my students is also a member of another Kung Fu organization, and when I told him I was going to get the chance to interview you today, he's like, uh, can you please ask him a question? So I'm going to ask him, I'm going to ask you this question on behalf of my student. Uh, he said, why did you choose the White Lotus name for your system? Uh, the name came up because we, I had a, a meeting with my students. Uh, when I first started out teaching, this was back in 1968, uh, uh, I started what was called the Chinese Physical Health Club. So these are all the Asian kids that I taught around the neighborhood that came to me. And later on, 1973, I opened up my first public studio. And so instead of called Chinese Physical Health Club, we called Silom Kung Fu. And from there, this is where I had all my main guys of the demonstration team, which we became worldwide famous for what we were doing in the entertainment business, uh, tournament competition, so forth. And then that's when I was still under my teacher's name, Art Wong, under Five Animal. Then we had a big meeting with all my top students, senior students, and we said, we got to change the name, we got to go under a different name. And then they all picked White Lotus. We were looking at Red Lotus, Green Lotus, white. and then they said White Lotus because there's such thing as White Lotus flower. And it's closed at night, but it opens up in the daytime. And so this is where we say, when we open up in the daytime, we take all the knowledge that comes through to us. And then at night we close it, and now we circulate everything in our body, in our mind, in our spirit. So it circulates. So when we open up in the morning time, all of this knowledge is there. And so that's why they chose the White Lotus, because it was uh, uh, a, a name that they like. But we also know there's an old system of White Lotus back like, during the Box of Rebellion. So we call ourselves the contemporary White Lotus, not the old-style White Lotus. 
Thank you for sharing that with us. So I, I, I borrowed no problem. I borrowed the background from your website, so I'm just going to quote it directly off the website here. The White Lotus okay. system is an open style based on the universal principles of motion, action, and energy. Mental, physical, and spiritual development are the cornerstones of this system. Yep. And now we know yep, why it's called right. the White Lotus system. So thank you so much. Yep. <laughs> no now, problem. That's now great. We, we had a couple of other name drops in there. So we you know, can we talk about Ark Wong for a little while? Sure. No problem. Uh, he was credit as one of the first teachers to open up Kung Fu to the non-Asian people, or non-Chinese, I should say. Uh, he did this back in 1959. He uh, uh, didn't open up until 1961. We had a public school. But uh, a couple of my senior uh, classmates uh, uh, were part of it that they talked him into opening uh, to the public. And they were, uh, one was uh, uh, Latin descent, another one was Caucasian. Uh, I'm trying to think of their name. I can't even think of their names now. But anyway, they're the two that helped start it. And then, um, and then I got there in 1964, I believe. Yeah, 64. Uh, but you know, I was still young, wasn't driving or anything like that. And and uh, you know, my parents had to drive me from uh, South Central Los Angeles. That's where I was uh, born and raised down there. And um, into the Chinatown area, but the school's up there in Chinatown. And my cousin happened to take me over there and said, you, you want to go learn some? But he was trying to teach me Tai Chi, but I was not interested in Tai Chi. He said, well, there's another guy that just opened a Kung Fu school. So that's why I ended up looking. So uh, I stayed with him. Now, he, he's been around for a long time, so he was uh, known worldwide and, and all throughout the Chinese communities as one of the top uh, teachers. And uh, he did... Uh, uh, he, he did a lot of background stuff. He did. Uh, he was a private bodyguard for uh, Madame Chiang Kai-shek, who was the president of the Republic of China uh, when they were sent to Taiwan. So whenever she came to the United States, he was the per personal bodyguard. And then uh, he was also part of what's called the Hapsing Tong. And he was like uh, 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 one of the members, uh, high office. And my other teacher, Shir K. Lu, was also part of the Hop Sing Tong. He was sergeant at arm, so that's why I was uh, I was hooked up with the Hop Sing Tong also. So those are two main tongs per se. You know, it was this called what's called the Sui Sing Tong, and uh, and our group was called the Hop Sing Tong. So we had all the different Chinese branches, main Chinese branches, hooked into either of these two tongs, and so we did a lot of. Uh, Lion dancing ceremonies. We did a lot of uh, grand openings for other things, and part of the of the, the stuff when we do the celebration, we always perform our martial arts or our kung fu, and to see who was strongest, who was faster, who was better, whatever. Uh, and so that was all part of the Sabart Wong taught a lot of the older guys. When he first opened up, you had all the big name martial art people go there including Mr. Ed Parker, Tiny uh, Lafiti, uh, Tino Tulisega, um, you know, and, and uh, so many, Danny Inosantos, uh, uh, Bob Cook, uh, you, know, and, you know, almost in any of the who's who, even Bruce Lee came up there. So that, that was all part of the time during the early, late 60s and early 70s when this was all happening. Uh, Art Wong was also taught at Mr. Parker's West L.A. studio. He was teaching the Tai Chi classes over there. And uh, the set in Kempo called the Finger Set, that all came from Art Wong. So that, that's all part of the system. And then 
my teacher that I also learned from Art Wong, what's happening, I, I was going there instead of, I was going classes there instead of going to college, going to my classes <laughs> there. I was too well known. It got back to my parents that I wasn't going to school. And, you know, they're paying all this money. <laughs> so I got away from there. And there was, then I went to one of Art Wong's other students. It was Tiny Hamili uh, Tiny Lafiti, and his school was in Huntington Park way away from Chinatown. <laughs> so I ended up going over there. And that's what I started to learn from him. And his system is where I based most of my fighting systems is on his system. Uh, he taught what was called the Lima Lama. We were part of the Lima Lama organization. System was founded by his uh, uh, cousin, Tino um, Tulusega. So Tiny is considered one of the founders, one of the six founders of that system. So, so what we had in there it was the Polynesian part of the art. Now, also, when you see Mr. Parker, uh, you see all the slap stuff that he does in his systems, uh, something like what you see in the uh, Five Swords. All that stuff came from Tiny Lafiti, my teacher. But before that, the old Kempo system was more what's called you know, the old Pine system from Dr. Uh, Matosi. And there was no slaps in there. It's just strictly more like karate movements, you know. Uh, so the slaps came from Tiny he, and Tino, I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Parker added that into the system. And so that's where all the slaps comes from, and that's what you see in Five Swords. And uh, so, so there, there's so much of that history hooked back to Art Wong. Because uh, Tiny learned part of it also from Art Wong. He learned it in Taiwan also when he was in the Merchant Marine. But when he when he left there, he got a little introduction. His teacher said Art Wong's the only other person teaching the Mokka system in the United States. So that's where he went to learn from him. So you see, there's a lot of that put together system. They were all tied in together somewhere there. So that's that's how Parker got to know Art Wong and how a lot of this style started getting mixed in. And also during that time period, there's Jimmy H. No, not Jimmy Wing Wu. There's two Wu's. Jimmy H. Wu who uh, developed the Sansu style, which is, uh, he has a lot, a lot of systems, a lot of schools around. And then there's Jimmy Wingwu. Now, Wingwu came from San Francisco area, and he's the one that helped Parker put together his book on the one on Chinese Kempo, where they have all the different weapons on Secret in there, Chinese the variety. Chinese three-section stuff, yeah, all that. All those are Chinese weapons. That's, there's none of that stuff in Kempo at all. <laughs> but mm -hmm. he borrowed all that from Jimmy, H., uh, Jimmy Wingwu. And they were supposed to be partners on that book, and so they got into the fallout. And uh, so Jimmy Wingwu split from Parker. So, but you know, but he left everything that was that uh, Wingwu wrote about in the book. So that's how all that came about, also. But you know, I said, like I said, I knew all these guys from way back, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, the, and then H Wu was, was a whole different thing. His his Sansu style, they they did a lot of uh, free fighting and and so forth. Uh, and so it was a different system altogether. But, you know, there, there's so many different things going on in the 60s and 70s that, that you know, everybody was hooked up some way, somehow, you know, intermixed. And uh, Bruce Lee came up there one time, wanted to have his classes over at Wong, Art Wong Studio, and uh, Art Wong decided not to let him do that. So then he ended up opening up his own studio on College Street, which is about 12 blocks away from uh, Art Wong Studio. So and that's what happened on that part. And uh, Tino Tiglaseg was up there taking private lessons from Art Wong. And 
learning the five animal systems and so forth. And um, later on, he developed his Lima Lama. He always uh, talks about Art Wong. Was, uh, he has a certificate signed by uh, Ed Parker and Art Wong, uh, one of his black belt certificates. So, you know, anyway, that that's part of Art Wong. And, and then when I got into do the Kung Fu movie, uh, the pilot film, uh, they asked him if I can bring other people, Kung Fu people in, but they didn't have anybody. They had a bunch of karate people, but no Kung Fu people. So that's when I pulled my teacher, Art Wong, and also my classmate, Ralph Shun, and John Leone into the, the movie. So we all did the pilot film together. So that was a 1971 movie film, then it was released in 1972. So um, that was part of that history. So, uh, and uh, he taught also acupuncture, Art Wong. He did acupuncture and herbs, you know, at his studio. But that was not what I had learned from him. Mine was mainly just the animal system. My, my healing, again, came from the other teachers. But, again, they were all friends, like Art Wong and Cher Liu were close. Like when they did lion dancing, Art Wong always did the head, and Sifu Liu always did the tail. And the tail is supposed to be the strongest guy because he has to hold the front man in case they hang over any type of uh, uh, a bridge or, or on, on a high building. They, they have to do so many things. So the back man has to be solid, and he's got to pull him back up and do certain things and put him on his shoulder and dance around, do all this good stuff. So that, I learned that from Cher uh, Lu, you know, part of my line dancing and everything from him. And from Art Wong. Art Wong taught me line dancing also. So uh, I guess... Um, so, and then he passed away was like 89 years old so he was uh, in great shape always in shape As you spent a long time underneath Grandmaster Wong yep I did uh, from 64 to 89 25 years almost there yep wow so mm-hmm. you, you dropped the, the two other big names that I, I wanted to call out real quick out of there was uh, Tino Tulasega and Tiny Lafiti. Uh, here, here's an odd connection and I can edit this out later if you want um, one of my students' grandfather served in Tiny Lafiti's unit in Vietnam, or actually might have been <laughs> might have been in Korea because he's got a picture of him. Korea, uh, yeah, yeah, Korea. Okay, so he's got a picture of him, and I'm looking at this picture and I'm going, "Wait a minute!" When I when I got it, when Dr. Chappelle accepted me as one of his students, we were talking history at one point, and he sent me a picture that had you know Tino and Tiny in it because they were the founders. It was right. the you know, founders' picture for Lima Lama, and I'm looking at this right. picture and I go, "Huh." Well, segue five years later, I meet, you know, this other guy and he starts training underneath me and I'm over at his house. I'm like, wait a minute. I know that guy. That's Tiny Lafiti. He goes, yeah, my grandfather used to tell us all kinds of crazy stories about how they'd be over in the middle of the bush somewhere and somebody do something stupid. And then it was time that you got disciplined by fighting Tiny. And Tiny was anything (laughs) except Tiny. (laughs) That's right. That was just his nickname. Yeah. He was something else. He was uh, about 6'4 when he passed away and was about 350 pounds. And he was only 43 years old when he passed away. We, you know, we thought he was going to live on forever. I mean, that is one, man, you couldn't hurt him. It just, it was... <laughs> Why is it that everybody who's called Tiny is anything except Tiny? <laughs> just the nickname. I don't, yeah, just to <laughs> uh, just put the illusion on you. Everybody I've ever met named Tiny is a huge dude. <laughs> always, always big. Yeah, he was, he was so big, so fast. I mean, he hit so hard. It was crazy. I mean, his fist when he hit me, it goes from the bottom of my chin to right up to my eye. Uh, the bottom of my eye is so big. His fist, and Jeez. and he would slap you 
faster than try to hit you, but he said, I kill you one of my slaps, and his slaps are, oh, man, it was crazy. So that's why Parker enjoyed it. He added that into the system because of the slaps. It made you stronger and faster. So that, that slap motion is, is tremendous. There's a lot of principle behind it about the, the angle and the power and, and just accenting from one hand to the other hand. It's, and it, it's something else. But, yeah, Tiny was big, and he is flexible. He can go drop down to full splits. I mean, all this, side split, full splits, whatever, spin on the ground. Oh, that man was amazing. <laughs> he was amazing. But that's why I say he he's the main, my main teacher that taught me fighting aspects. You know, I uh, – a lot of it was based on him, but a lot of stuff he taught me was not in class. He taught me everything in the office. In the office, we sat there, and he showed me ways how to move the feet, how to move the hand, how to accent the hand this way, that way. And, you know, he said, yeah, you're talking about Bruce Lee, one-inch punch. I got the no-inch punch. And he showed me different ideas, principles. I mean, that man was just amazing in the fighting aspect. But he would not do anything for healing. That's the whole thing. That's why he died with that damn heart attack. That was just like his third one. Ooh. And that last one was just massive, man. And uh, he was watching a show uh, the night before with one of my other classmates, uh, Tommy Ho at the time. And, and my brother and David Chow was doing the show. And so he's watching that, and he said, while they're doing it at dinner, he ate 12 full chickens by himself. Wow. Yep, that was crazy. And then the uh, next thing I know, I heard a phone call that he had a massive heart attack and uh, that there was nothing they could do about it. Ah, man, that was, that was just a waste right there. That was crazy. Yeah, some of that man had so much more to offer, so much more to offer. But, uh, yeah, he's the one that introduced me to a bunch of the old guys back in the old days, uh, uh, Mike Stone, uh, Chuck Norris, uh, uh, who else back in those days, Bob Wall, all, all, the, all these guys, you know. So there's something else. But, uh, yeah, there, that was good times with him. So, you know, it's just, a, just such a short time, you know. He should have been around forever, but, you know, he just passed away at 43. That was just too young. Then there after that, then after the funeral, then that's when Tiny Tula's head came up to me and, and started talking. But see, he said he knew that we were senior students, so he, he was always coming by the school to visit and show me stuff. So he's like my mentor. You know, he said, I know I'm not your teacher, but, you know, so but we're all family. I said, yes, sir. So that's why I always knew him. So. Yeah, I knew him until he passed away, and then the family had me speak at his funeral up there in Santa Cruz, and and it was just something else. And uh, he helped me get my guys started in the tournament circuit back in 1973. It was 73 when we first came on with the only kung fu school that was going out there at these different karate tournaments, and nobody knew what we were doing, and they didn't recognize us. Like our first tournament, we went to the Dashi Yamashita's tournament, and, you know, we entered like 25 different uh, separate uh, divisions or, or, or places, and uh, we didn't win anything. People were just too shocked. The audience loved it, but the judges couldn't figure out what the hell we were doing. <laughs> you know, it's completely different. It's like in a Kung Fu movie, you know, where, where you do just the basic block and punches. It's just very simple, but it's not what we were doing. And then uh, when the second tournament we went to, we went to uh, his tournament he had down in Oceanside, and he got those guys to recognize what the movements were and so forth and just got us uh, started on there. And thereafter that, we were just winning trophies, you know. So from that point on, we won like 500 trophies in six months. Wow. And uh, it was all because of Chino. Yeah, he helped us do all that kind of stuff. And 
And then people got to the point that they wouldn't let us compete anymore because we were just winning. We were just killing it from white belt division up to black belt division, fighting forms and fighting, you know, for uh, weapons and so forth. So it, it was crazy. But uh, Tino helped us out a lot. So I owe him a lot also. But he was a fighter. That guy was an amazing fighter. So, I mean, they, there there's time when uh, some of those guys came to blow, like uh, Mr. Parker and Mr. <laughs> and my teacher Tiny almost got into it one time. And I said, oh, man. And here I, I'm back, trying to back him up, fight him. And here's big Tom Kelly, man, the big bear. Oh, man. I said, that's so good. He's bigger than Tiny. <laughs> I said, you know, and they got some big argument. argument there about an hour, we were about ready to go to blow and blow. And then finally, I'll settle down, shook hands. I said, thank God. <laughs> I said, that would have been crazy trying to fight these guys. Well, lucky we were all that. That's why I'm so close to a lot of the Kempo guys, you know, because we're all from back in the early, uh, late 60s, early 70s, you know. So I've known these guys from way back when, you know. So that's Dr. Chappelle. We go way back to Art Wong days, you know. So so we were there in the beginning. So uh, we always stayed together, always tight. So that's what I mean, Mr. Parker, oh, a lot of respect to him, him and his family, you know. So... Uh, especially now with Edmund Jr., you know, so he's around. I see him all the time, you know. We hang out together and stuff like that in the family. So I was there for his and her, uh, Mrs. Parker's uh, funeral and stuff like that. So, yeah, there are some very good people there, very good people. Uh, interesting. Uh, interestingly enough, um, my first teacher is Hunchy Everett Rodriguez up here where I live, and uh, he was very good friends with Tino as well. I remember when uh, uh-huh. uh, Tino's funeral was happening, uh, Mr. Rodriguez had, had just gotten diagnosed with cancer, and he was in the middle of chemo and all the chemo side effects, and he, there was just no way he could go, and he was real sad he couldn't make that. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, it does. Yep, that was a sad time. There was a lot of people up there, a lot of people. And, uh, yeah, there was, uh, yeah, that was another good man. He had his stroke, you know, the last few years where he couldn't speak anymore. And uh, that was kind of bad, you know. But, uh, you know, we always got hugs from him. And even on my birthday, he'll, he'll call me up and he'll, he'll make him, uh, you know, moan emotion, you know, <laughs> trying to wish me a happy birthday. But but uh, always hearing from him, uh and, and and the family, you know, and then, you know, Rudy and those guys, I mean, we go way back, you know, they're young kids when we were all growing up, you know, so, yeah, so still close to the family, you know, so always talking with them, Adele and everybody else, so, yep, yeah, that, that was a great system, you know, the Lee Malama system, great. Okay, so uh, the other piece we were mentioning, or you had mentioned a couple times, is you've had either been in or been a consultant for a lot of stuff in Hollywood, right? Yes, and I know, I have, you, I know yeah. you've discussed some of it previously on previous podcasts. If you don't mind, you know, telling us a little bit about it, it it's just really cool. When I was looking through your biography and looking at all the things you did, and I uh, I did the Google search machine, your your film <laughs> credits are really extensive. Uh, you, I think you downplayed it a little bit on your on your biography on your website. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, no, I've been doing it for a long time. My first adventure was uh, doing the kung fu pilot film. Uh, they called me up. Uh, what happened was my insurance, my dad's insurance man was there at the house uh, re-signing up his uh, new policy and so forth. So uh, I was teaching my guys in my dad's garage, what we call my Chinese physical health club or my garage boys. And he happened to come out, who's leaving, and he saw I was doing all kinds of stuff in the garage, working out, and he said, what are you guys doing? I said, this is Kung Fu. I said, really? I have a friend that needs some people to do Kung Fu. I said, really? I said, can I give him your name and phone? And I said, yeah, tell him give me a call. So I got a call the next day. It was David Chow, the technical advisor for Kung Fu. So that's how I got started. 
But when I got down to, to talk to him and so forth, Dave is not a kung fu man. He's a judo man. He's a black belt in judo. He didn't know anything about kung fu. But he sold himself as a technical advisor <laughs> knew everything about kung fu. And so uh, myself and another old friend, uh, Cam Yuen, he's from the Thai Manta studio, uh, we became his assistant. So we helped him put together all those scenes at the, the Shaolin Temple scenes. Uh, we had to tell him about the uniform, how to, but he was going to put them all in judo uniform with the black belt and all that. I said, no, 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 man. We got this kind of stuff. We got fashions. We do this. We wear shoes. We don't wear barefoot. But we can't get the shoes in time. And so we were out there in freezing weather in December barefooted on concrete. Oh, man. And so, so <laughs> it was crazy. And plus, at that time, they didn't want to do reshoots. So we, so he asked for um, five volunteers to shave their hair, and we weren't going to get any any uh, 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 bonus pay or anything like that. But you know, if we wanted to be in a movie, I said, well, at that time I wasn't doing anything anyway, so I had my hair shaved. So after that, there was about there was thirty of us with up for those parts, but only five of us stayed there for it. And so those guys left, and then they gave us three hundred dollars bonus for doing it. They just didn't want to advertise what they're going to give us. So you know that's like a couple thousand dollars nowadays. Yeah. So we did that, and what happened when they called me in? They had me go down to Warner Brothers and meet with the producers and so forth, and director, and they said, "Well, we want you to see if you can train this guy uh, to be the star of the the Kung Fu series, uh, movie." And I said. I thought Bruce Lee was supposed to be it. He said, no, we, we picked somebody else. So I said, okay. So they brought this guy in his head leaning down, big, tall guy, and it was David Carradine. But they had him in skull cap, and, and his eyes slanted up some, you know, with makeup and so forth. So he said, you think he can pass for Eurasian? I said, yeah, he could. He said, you think you can train him? I said, yeah, I can train anybody. That's no problem about that. So that's how I ended up doing that. <laughs> So, so we, we helped him do all the different scenes, and then there's other parts in there where if you saw the, the throwing stars that they threw into the dummy, mm-hmm. and when that first started, they had all the wire, they had these wires hooked onto these stars. So I said, that's when we were on a break. So I went, was walking around the set, seeing what's going. On. I said, why you guys have so stars so come to the wire? Because we have nobody can throw them. I said, I got somebody here that can throw them for real. I said, really? I said, yeah, you can pay a little extra money. So, okay. So nice. I got my teacher, Art Wong. <laughs> That's how he got that part. <laughs> extra payday. So he took him. Yeah, he slow motion him. See, go right into the throat, into the body, and all this kind of stuff. We didn't think anybody can do that kind of stuff. I said, hell yeah, we can do all that. That's no problem. So I, I got him to do that part. And, and uh, then my other class uh, classmate, uh, Rashun, did the part of the crane, and John Leone did part of the snake, and my teacher did the dragon. And then they said, you're too young, so you got to be one of the guys in the white in the background when my teacher Art Wong was doing it. I said, no problem, wherever. You know, it's fine with me. So I had like 21 separate scenes in the pilot film myself. So now I was going banging a gong, walking here, talking here, getting tossed in the beginning. And so it was a lot of fun. And then after that, I, I um, went on to do other stuff. You know, we got hooked up on to do a thing for Ironside for uh, – uh, police story, uh, uh, heart to heart, uh, uh, SWAT, and all kind of stuff. And then, and I got uh, my other two guys, James Lou and Albert Leone, got to play in all the different parts. You know, so every time they had back in those days, they had what's called the Asian part. So every series had to have one for Asian, one for uh, blacks, one for the Latinos, and so forth. So we were always in all the Asian ones. So that was back in those days. 
Then I got hooked up into with my friend uh, Kim Kahana, so he got me my SAG card. And so we got hooked up to the Apple Dumpling Gang, um, uh, a, a bunch of other movies and stuff. So that's what we were called, Instant Action Coordinator. So we were going around doing different shows all the time, you know, helping them do uh, put uh, fight scenes together and so forth, where they brought all my weapons. I mean, my weapons have probably been in more movies than I have, you know, from uh, – Heaven Can't Wait to the Kung Fu series, to History Channel, so forth, so on. So uh, I have a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And then uh, I got uh, the guy who did the Kung Fu was called Richard Lang. He was uh, assistant technical director. And then later on, they had what's called an Action Pack series that came in the 1980s. And that he had, that part was Hercules and and um, uh, I forget what, uh, five different shows. And uh, they asked me, did you want, could I do the Hercules thing? I said, sure, why not? I said, what kind of fighting you guys want on there? You know, the old gladiator type fighting, this stuff. And they put me in there, and they showed me all the kung fu movies. And said, no, we were kung fu. <laughs> I said, okay, that's my specialty. There's no problem. So Special I did that, and then they had to, yeah, that was so much fun doing that. And then they had to spin off Xena. They said, can you train her? I said, yep. I can do that too. So I work with both of those stars, and so they can work on their own and do their own stunts and so forth. And then I got Ryan Gosling, and then they started a thing called Young Hercules. It would be a TV show, you know, weekly one. So uh, no, five days a week. It was on. I forget what channel it was. And so I was working with him on that one. And then another series came up called Cleopatra. 525, uh, so I got to work on that one, so I was working on four series at one time uh, for Universal Studios. So we did, we did that, and uh, you know, I had other movies that worked on, or, and we did some Hong Kong stuff, uh, 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 Bruce Lee, The Man and the Myth of uh, Bruce Lai, so I did that one, and I did another Filipino one, and I did, did a bunch of others, you know, uh, other films, stuff. But the difference of Hong Kong and China and the United States ones is that the Chinese one, you're allowed to make contact. Here in the United States, everything has to be angles. There's no touching the stars or anybody. So over there, in China-wise, you can slap the guy, hit the guy, you know, slightly, but, you know, you, you have more emphasis in it, and the body will react quickly because it's being touched, and you know exactly when to take off. But sometimes hit and miss here on, on the U.S. screen, or, or you know the angle's like 10, 12 inches away, but by, by the way they shoot it, uh, it's a take. And sometimes they react just in time, other times it's not. It's retake, retake, retake. Mm-hmm. In Chinese, well, you don't have to retake. You got hit, man. You know you got hit, you go, you go <laughs> at that time. So so that's the difference between the Chinese style and, and, and the American one. And when Jackie Chan came to did his first film, The Big Brawl, he didn't like none of the American guys because none of the guys could react the way that his Hong Kong people would do it. So he had a bad time doing that. And uh, uh, so he always liked to bring his own crew. He has his own stunt guys, his own stunt team, and so forth. So, you know, when he came over, he did that movie. And then we did uh, my brother and I, we started Inside Kung Fu Magazine. That was in 1973. We opened our first studio in January 1973. And then we start talking about we were trying to advertise the uniform we were making at the time for the studio. And we were going to take an ad out in Black Bill Magazine. But they charged so much for an ad that my brother said, no, nah, we're going to start our own magazine. Uh, so that's how Inside Kung Fu came about. So uh, we decided to do that in May of 73. And the first issue came out in December of 73 with the cover of David Carradine and David Chow on the cover from the Kung Fu pilot film. And so that's how that all came about. 
and and during that time period when Jackie came over to do his uh, picture, the big brawl, he and my brother became best friends, and my brother was his best man at his wedding. So we see Jackie all the time. Him and my brother went to business, a couple of business events in Hawaii and in China and so forth. So, you know, they're still uh, very close. They traveled together a couple of times a year still now. So that, that's how we hooked up with a lot of these guys. So we met with uh, Sam Wu Hong and all these other Chinese stars and so forth. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think now, my mind's starting to wander. So, <laughs> so that was in the 70s, the 80s, and then I, you know, and like I said, we hooked up into a lot of different types of movies. And then I start training uh, a lot of people behind the scenes, because like uh, Jeff Imada and Al Long, they, they like to do the movie, but they don't like to train anybody. So, any movie that they were working on, uh, they would send them to my studio and I would train them, you know, for a lot of stuff like, uh, uh, I forget, I forget, back to Escape from L.A., uh, uh, all the lethal weapon stuff, all, you know, different things. James didn't like training, but I didn't like training. So I always ended up training people. So I always stayed involved. And uh, I got involved uh, this year. We did, um, I trained one of the stars for Pacific Rim 2, which is coming out next year. So I taught her some of the fight scenes for that. And uh, my son was teaching a lot of them uh, what's called a parkour and free running. So that's the latest thing that people have been doing for over the last 10 years now and all the new James Bond movie, all the action movies, uh, Prince of Persia, uh, something on the Zohan. I forget, I forget all these names, but, the, you know, that's what my son does now. So he's been choreographing a lot of that stuff. He was assistant fight choreographer for Fast and Furious 7. He just did the uh, choreographed the show for the new uh, Cirque du Soleil. Uh, he did Lion King last year. He's getting ready to do Lion King number two. Uh, he does all the motion capture stuff. He does a lot of these video games and everything else. Is Chris Rock's uh, 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 music videos. Did Jennifer Lopez's music videos, and he, he's all over. So all the training that he learned from the beginning, it's all paying off. So he's doing a lot on his own now. So so, you know, there's, there's just a lot of things I still. Once in a while, get involved. My son wants me, can you teach him old-time style uh, stuff or movements or self-defense? I say, yep, okay. So we do it. So we have a 10,000-square-foot studio in Reseda now that, that we train out. We have a full gymnastic floor there, 2,000-square-foot for martial arts, building and dance studio, exercise equipment upstairs. So we have uh, we always got celebrities out there working out all the time or bringing people over. Uh, sh- uh, shooting the shorts of films and stuff like that, or getting some ideas of what to do, or and, you know, different things like that. So I'm still involved in the martial, I mean, the uh, movie business somewhat. You know, not as much as like before. But yeah, you definitely downplayed that on your website. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, you know, we're still doing it when I can, and my wife is getting into it also. And that was she was uh, in that one was uh, GI Joe Two: The Retaliation. She was a uh, lady with the white wig fighting up there doing the healing and she fought with the staff and daggers with the, one of the stars there my son was one of the five red ninja he set up all the fight scenes for that when they're mountainside fighting and james lou motherstone was uh part of the chinese ambassadors during the uh the scenes there they had there uh we're just talking about uh, shooting off the atomic bombs and all that kind of stuff so all three of those guys are in the same movie so but you know they're still working and james has got uh, his little emmy award for doing the Luke Cage for Marvel. 
So that just came out uh, this year. Just got that a couple months ago. And he's back uh, to go Luke Cage Part 2 now. So he's getting ready to do that. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're all working. My wife just did an HBO special. And then she worked with Angelie Jolet. Uh, helped her do her first movie. That was uh, way back. I can't even think of the name. Uh, Cyborg 2. Uh, so uh, she did that with her and then taught her a bunch of other stuff for other movies uh, on uh, knife fighting, butterfly knives, and whatever. She's, she was into knives, so my wife just taught her all that kind of stuff. So, yep, so they're, they're still going strong. Everything else is still going. So that's enough of the entertainment business, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let me jump into a last topic before we wrap on for the day. Um, okay. Tell us about the Gung Fu Geezers Club. Yes. Well, what was happening is that we're losing so many old friends, you know, and uh, Ron decided, or Doc decided to say, we should get together while we can, you know, because we've been together for, you know, since the 60s. And, you know, we're, we're going over 50 years now. And so we, we decided we should get together at least once every couple of months and still, you know, talk about old stories, old time, about what we did or what's the latest things that we're doing, you know, currently. Ron's always thinking about things, you know, about body mechanics, uh, what's the fastest way of doing this or doing that. And so, you know, we we, we get on the phone and talk. We say, man, but we got to sit down and and see each other and all this stuff. So he decided to to have it. So we we have a meeting every three or four months. Uh, We Sometimes we hang out in the Torrance area. Most of the time we hang out in the Crenshaw area right across from his house so we, we go there at Chinese restaurants so the owners don't mind us sitting there talking getting loud and crazy so we get together and, and we get some of the old guys together you know uh, what you call it um, Cliff Stuver come down uh, our other guys Tommy Chan Wilson Kwan Carl Totten myself uh, you know, and a bunch of other guys will come down every once in a while, you know, from the current group also, you know. Uh, Doc would say, yeah, let's bring them in, let them uh, see what we're all about and stuff, how we were and all this kind of stuff. So, so we have get-together all the time, different guys coming all the time. Then we have our yearly one over at uh, Wakuk's, uh, the the one in Chinatown when we have the, the meeting, you know, he's going to have his seminar. So it's yearly guys, all the guys coming from the, over the pond, you know, so it's great to see them. So we, I think the next one's coming up in January or February. i got to look at the Chinese New Year calendar. See when, <laughs> but it's always around Chinese New Year. So we get together and have a lot of fun and share foods there, share stories, and, and see everybody again, you know, nice gathering, you know. So we're just losing too many people, you know, so that that's the main thing we do that, and that's why I enjoy that. And also another thing is Dragon Fest, which we had, Yearly, and we start brought back a couple of years ago now from the martial art museum. So uh, we're doing that too. So you know everybody shows up for that. So that's a great meeting of everybody in the martial art world, entertainment world. But uh, it's always great to talk to Doc. He's always got some new principles. Say, yeah, you should see this. This is this, this, this. I said, okay, cool. So I'm always getting stuff from him on, on, on email, <laughs> uh, latest concepts and stuff like that. Yeah, usually so, at 3 a.m. Uh, yeah, he sends those out. <laughs> yep, yeah, he'll get them. Yeah, I'll get them in the next morning. I ain't staying up that late. <laughs> but, yeah, I get them once in a while, you know. And, uh, but uh, it's always great to talk to him, you know, when we talk about the good old days, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and we never know who shows up for these parties, you know. So like last year was Hayward Nishioka, one of the top judo guys, you know. So that was good to see him, you know. I've followed him since the 70s, you know, from way back. And I haven't heard about him in so many years, and he just happened to show up last year. So never know who's going to show up this year, you know. And, uh, you know, we 
have sometimes Jeff Speakman will show up. These guys will show up. Some of the old PKF boys will come up, you know, so you, you never know who shows up. But uh, it was always fun um, sharing time with everybody. That's awesome. I had to ask because yeah. I've seen it in a couple different places, and had that not been a publicly released name, I wouldn't have used that particular term, but I figured it was safe because it was on Doc's website, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. That's for sure. Good guy. All right. This has been Grandmaster Douglas Wong. I am so stoked I got a chance to talk to you today, sir. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Um, for our listeners out there, what message would you like to send out to the world? That the main thing to study, if you can, is martial arts. It doesn't matter what style, what system who the teacher is, if he's young, he's old, so forth. But find a teacher that knows what he is talking about. Check out his background. Just don't go to any studio that's there. Find out a little bit of background. Get a referral if you can. If not, Google one. Or find somebody, one of your friends or cousins or somebody that's taken martial art. Who would they refer to? But you got to look at all the different things. A lot of people want to get into the mixed martial arts. To me, that's not a traditional art. That's not part of what I like to do. I mean, I, I, I have fighters, but I train them from the traditional side, from the martial arts side, not the new modern type style. So look at that. But also find out if they are teaching more than just fighting, more than just self-defense. You've got to learn about the healing aspect, which is very important, and about the mental aspect also. So find a good teacher that can offer you everything, mind, body, and spirit. That is absolutely well put. For people who right. want to get a hold of you, sir, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, I have a website. It's www.whitelotuskungfu.com. Um, and uh, that's has my studio there, and uh, you can find out the time and place and address and so forth. Uh, that that's part of it. And the other website is uh, joiningallmovements.com. So, J O I I N G all A L L movement M O V E M E N T dot com, and that's our main studio. That's my son's gym where we teach the martial art, parkour, free running, hip-hop, dancing, yoga, you name it. We teach anything with movement, we teach there. And if you want to brush up on, on stunt fighting and different things like that, we have different classes there for that also. So you can check that site out. Uh, my product can be found at Amazon.com. Uh, I have, uh, I think, four books there available now. But in next year, uh, check out the Martial Arts Museum. Uh, dot com. Uh, what's happening there? I'm having all my VHS converted into DVDs. Uh, all my books will also be available. Everything that I have will be available through the Martial Art uh, Museum. So you can check that out next year. But uh, if you have any questions or anything, you can shoot me an email at Douglas D O U G L A S W N G. At yahoo.com. So don't put an O in that W. So it's Douglas WNG at yahoo.com. And that's about it. So I'm hoping I'll get some information what I've given you there. If you have any questions, shoot me an email. I am absolutely stoked I got the chance to talk to you today. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. Right. 
No problem. I appreciate it, you know, and uh, uh, looking forward to your other podcast and listening to some of my other old buddies, and especially the doc, and see what's up with him. <laughs> I, I had a blast so talking great. to you today. I really did. Great, great. Well, I enjoyed myself. You know, if there's anything else, we can do another one in the future, so there's no problem. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds great. You as well, sir. Have a great yeah. one. Talk to you later. All right. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I feel so blessed to have gotten to speak with so many amazing people for this podcast. Grandmaster Wong and I have met a few times at various events, but this is the first time I got to really pick his brain and learn about his perspectives. I'm grateful he spent time with us on this episode. Thank you, Grandmaster Wong. If you're in the SoCal area, look him up. You won't be sorry. Okay, I guess I should let you all know who's going to be on episode number eight then, huh? Interested? Me too. Let me look at my files. Ah, yes. Overseeing what has got to be in the running for the longest standing school in one place in Southern California, it is Professor Bob White. Professor White recently published two new DVDs I had the pleasure of watching after we recorded this interview. He truly epitomizes living a life of service to humanity. His organization has raised to date over a million dollars for the Royal Family Kids Camp in SoCal. That is such an outstanding contribution to society, I don't even have words for it. Tune in to episode number eight to hear about Professor White's story. I'll be tuning in myself to hear it again, and I was the lucky one to record it in the first place. See everybody then. Oh, sorry, once again. Find us at artistofmotion.com, artistofmotion.com slash iTunes, artistofmotion.com slash Google Play, on our Facebook page, Artist of Motion. Email to pod at artistofmotion.com. I'm signing off this episode. I'm Steve Zalazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion podcast.